When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. There's a touch of madness around here. Mackey and Judd on 1500. Kind of where the world and where we are and how many of these stories we've heard about with people in burner accounts. Maybe it isn't. It alleges no fewer than five burner accounts used to talk badly about Sixers players and former GM Sam Hinkie and release medical information about the players. Colangelo's admitted to using one of them. There's a lot to sift through. The irony of this is if it's true that... About this story, Colangelo landed the job because of concerns over how Hinky was doing his job, and now there's this. Joel Embiid started tweeting about it, and that's when things really took off. Our Adrian Wojnarowski then tweeted the following he got from Embiid, and I'm quoting the Sixers center here. I talked to him, meaning Colangelo, and he didn't say that. He called me just to deny the story. Gotta believe him until proven otherwise. If true, though, that would be really bad. <laughs> yep. It, it would. <laughs> hey, Pat. I got to tell you something. I love Scott Van, Van Pelt. Yeah. But he said, we've had a lot of stories like this. No, we haven't. No. We have oh. never had a story like this as far as uh, an atom bomb falling. It's unbelievable. It's. I kept reading it. And, you know, usually I thought I'd read four graphs. Heck, it was Two in the morning when I saw yeah. it. I'm reading the whole damn thing. It's, it's such so, a good story. So Judd was listening to to Barstool Sports Radio this morning. Okay. And apparently, so Sam Hinkie, the former GM. Who's a, a big, lo- the blogosphere loves him. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like the tone of these five Twitter accounts that were, we, let's just yes. face it, they were all run by Brian yes. Caswell. Yeah. One of the themes was ripping Sam Hinkie. Well, apparently Sam Hinkie teaches a class at Stanford that dives into the specifics of of how to avoid, like, of, of all of this. He teaches a class basically on, I'll let Judd elaborate here, on how to make sure, how to, you can collect data from different Twitter accounts and you can see if there's a resemblance from this one to this one to see if oh, people have multiple your accounts. Your phrasing oh, yeah. might be the same, and but th- but then they, so they, they can connect dots. Okay. And so basically, so. Yeah, yeah Hanky's the source. Hanky had to have called, <laughs> uh, called the rigor. Simmons at the Simmons. publication and yeah. said, look, this is too good not to tell you. Well, plus this guy apparently is a well-known whoever wrote it. What's his name? I can't remember the he, author. He's name. a well-known critic. He's been banging Colangelo. Oh, he? He's been ripping him for okay. Markel Fultz and thinks he's an idiot. And he loved Hanky too. So, so he he might have just called this guy directly. Simmons <laughs> might not have been in on it. But what they say, three months they've been monitoring. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. the, the, the genius part is they knew that there were five accounts in question that were very suspicious. They went to the Sixers and said, 
We know of these two accounts yeah. just to see if they would react and shut down the other three. And they did. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. The well, Colangelo did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know what I was thinking when I read this? You know, in some ways, I'm happy that I, uh, you know, discovered beer and got tremendously overweight and just kind of waddled around. I got so used to insults that it doesn't bother me. I don't know why. I don't know why, you know, I'll respond and make fun of somebody who makes fun of me, but that's part of the game. Right. But I don't care. How can you be this thin-skinned? You got the job. You got the best young talent in the NBA. Shut up, you idiot. Except, except we, we know... Sports executives can be the most thin-skinned people out there. Oh, yeah. They they hate to be. And I just, I'm cu- curious today, how many executives or, or college coaches or administrators are deleting burner accounts oh, today? Oh, yeah, that's because, right. And, and if you have it, Pat, and, and just m- monitor things, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be more than this, oh, sure. this one guy saying, hey, you should check this out, or this guy failed a physical, and it's not... You know, it's not so-and-so's fault that he did. Mm-hmm. There had to be just a slew of people today hitting delete buttons and trying oh, to get yeah. rid of those accounts. I'm pretty sure Gar- I'm, I'm pretty sure Gardy told us like five or six years ago that he had an account or they or they see they set me up with ice. So I follow you guys on Twitter. Yeah. And there's some stuff where he would find it would be something that you would tweet as a beat writer, but not something that you would write. And the only uh-huh. way that you could find it is if. There's a burner account following you, or if someone tipped him off to it. Okay. So I think it's pretty common for these guys to have burner accounts. But to, back to what Pat was saying, the level of insecurity and the lengths that people go to, mm-hmm. and you think that once you get those jobs or once you're a pro athlete that you can just kind of shut it off, and who cares? I'm making a bunch of money, and I've got a dream job. And <laughs> it's almost the opposite, where you just become so obsessed with what people think about you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is incredible. It's I, I get ready to It's one of the... You know, it, it, as the world turns, it doesn't mean anything, but as a good sports story, yeah. it's out of this world. Who are the it's most fantastic. in the in the near fifty years this summer that Ooh. you've been doing this? Who are the most thin-skinned people, athletes, coaches, executives, <laughs> college pro, the most thin-skinned people that you wow. encounter? Let's uh, let's. Uh... Well, I wish I, I should have thought about that before I came in here. It was a brilliant question. Uh, Ray Miller, question. Ray Miller, he only lasted a year and a half. He knew everything you wrote about him. He was, uh, he was, uh, he was terrible. Uh, Denny, I'm trying to think. Well, don't you I think, Den- don't Denny, you think I he think could Denny, have a burner? Yeah, Denny could have had a burner account, but Denny, I've always thought Denny was having fun, was giving us a hard time. Everything, every time Denny said one of those stupid things, we were saying, boy, is he stupid. And he was saying, look at these idiots writing this down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think Denny was smarter than we give him credit for. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of go for football. Uh, I know that I saw Smokey Joe at one of Sid's many functions. Yeah. Years later. Yep. He still hated me. Uh, wow. You know, after... After a season in which he gave up 600 points or yeah. whatever it was, uh, players, uh, baseball players, are, it, it's funny how it goes with them. Some of them can be, you know, Blylevin was terrible, very sensitive, and uh, but I think athletes are different than coaches and administrators. They're they're worried about their job and right. their reputation, and they're trying to make money. Yeah, I remember having a conversation. It was. Uh, uh, you went on a spree like six or seven years ago, ripping Luke Hughes and Brendan Harris, just two yeah. like rock-handed middle <laughs> yeah. And Luke pulled me aside in the clubhouse one time. Yeah. Hey, hey, mate, 
come over here for a second. What's the deal with your co-host? I was like, what do you mean? He just he oh, keeps I, he keeps ripping me. I'm like, well, dude, you're hitting two fifteen. If you if you but I think the shot I took at him that got him was about inner half. Look out! Throw it on the you know if you yeah. throw it on the outer half, he'll swing. And yeah, Brandon Harris, who by the way just he, got a doctorate from MIT. Oh or really? Something. Yeah, he, he challenged got, you to a fight at, at the airport one yeah, time. Yeah, he got an MBA. At, <laughs> he found uh, his he got, calling. Now. He got an MBA. Yeah, but I I guess coach wise, mm. it's got Brew's got to be on the list. Yeah, I guess Brew, Brew would have been a great Brew. burner account yeah. guy. Oh yeah, Brew, Brew, Brew probably did have a burner account if if he knew what they were. Yeah, Brew was extremely thin skinned. But I gotta say, in Brew's defense, I waited until his first press conference to rip him. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know who was as an athlete was unbelievable. Tom Gugliotta. Really? Oh yeah, man. He got once. Uh, uh, once I compared him to Todd Murphy, a game he'd played. And, and he <laughs> okay, liked, that's pretty bad. He was just screaming at me, and, and I didn't even know he knew who I was. I wasn't around that often. He was bad. Uh, but uh, administrator-wise, Twins haven't had anybody too bad. Bernsey was the greatest. Danny was paranoid. You know, Ticey was pretty thin-skinned because he knew everything he wrote, but he wasn't. You know, he wouldn't, it wouldn't be like he'd never talk to you again or something. Didn't Tice also sort of, he felt like, oh, I'm going to be nice to, I'm going to be buddy buddy with yeah. everyone. And if you betray that, then, yes. you know, yeah. why would you? Tice couldn't help himself. Tice was okay, though. I mean, when I, oh, yeah. Because I started yeah. calling him Flaggy the coach, you know, because he'd uh, challenge, if he didn't like how a play turned out, right. he'd challenge Tice, it. And 50 it, and yard just, wide open broken and coverage. Say, and he'd say, oh, you really think that's funny, don't yeah. you? Flaggy the coach. But he was. Tyson yeah. wouldn't. Tyson, we've been, pre, we've been. Come to think of it, we've been fairly lucky. Clem was very thin-skinned, but I still loved him because you could scream, you could get in arguments with him, and then a couple of days later he'd be fine. But you know, Glenn, he used to go crazy. He came over to the office one day with all this stuff, yellow marked on me, showing me this stuff, this offensive stuff that I'd written. So yeah, he was very thin-skinned. Amazing. Tice wouldn't talk to you until he got got mad at the next guy, mm-hmm. and then he'd talk to you and to Ann. spite the next guy. Mm-hmm. So basically, you you would be shut down by Mike until someone else got him mad, mm-hmm. and then he would, and then he'd go back to you and talk to you and shut out the next person. Well, another thin, really thin-skinned guy was Flip. Flip was good guy, but rabbit ears. Sensitive, yeah, rabbit ears sens- for sure. Very sensitive, yeah. Because I wrote when he got fired that he should have been fired. They'd quit playing for him. Remember, mm-hmm. Phoenix scored 140 points against them, and yeah, that was the Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, 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 and then they yeah. still thought they were good, right? And I wrote that, and he, you know, he remembered for a few times that I saw him. After yeah, that. I feel like his way of his way. It wasn't. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, but, but his way was sort of, hey, uh, you know, sort of, I, I heard in pass, so I've heard in passing, sort of, that you wrote mm-hmm. this, or he'd call you up and try to talk you out of it. That's yeah, you know, he'd, he'd try to oh, talk you out of it after the column uh, appeared. Yeah, turkeys yeah. of the year. Louis took it. Louis wasn't it didn't take it well. <laughs> that was. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Mace Mace didn't take it real well. I, Mace was really thin skinned. Yeah, uh, I sh- burner I account guy. Potentially, Mace back <laughs> have, in the day, he could have had a burner account. Might have turned yeah. it over to a family member, but, yeah, but he, uh, he would have run it. Oh yeah, I think yeah. you know. I think with how active Lou Nanny is on Twitter now, if Twitter existed in the mid 1980s, I think Lou Nanny would have been a burner oh, yeah. account guy oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, he would have monitored you for damn sure. Yeah, it, but uh, yeah, Mace was uh, well. Mace used to 
basically when both Craig and Chip had to cover him, and he'd see something Barrero or I wrote, and he'd scream at them, mm-hmm. you know. So he was he was extremely thin skinned. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk some twins when we come back? Or are you? Yeah, are you busy yeah I'm good. I'm I'm good. Uh, did you see my latest tweet? By the way, I it reminded uh, the Braves. Remember one? those? Remember those players we stole yeah. from the poor, miserable Rays? Yeah. They're now one game over 500. Yeah. You know what? Maybe that's what it, Ryan Presley needs to start three games this week for the Twins. <laughs> uh, Pat's hanging out with us, Mackie and Judd. Attention. Radio alert. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. Escobar. Deep to left field. Into the corner. Game over. All those fly balls to the warning track and of all people it's Alcides Escobar with his second home run of the season and right before the rain falls Alcides Escobar ends the game what time was that fellas I was long in bed I was in bed as well Judd stayed up (laughs) I stayed up masochistic Judd here listening to it on the radio and it was 11 really it was 11 40-ish, so probably. The games, the games on this road trip have been going pretty fast, oh. except uh, Memorial Day wasn't too fast. Yeah, because they started at 740, right? Yeah, they started last night because of the rain. Forty, yeah, and they played fourteen innings. It I was think, miserable. I think we have a dark horse in the American League Cy Young Award voting here. Scott Barlow pitched the eleventh <laughs> through fourteenth innings Is and right? was completely untouchable for the Royals. I never heard of him. I, I know that. <laughs> I know their bullpen's been brutal. But, Scott um, Barlow. Yeah, yeah. He, the, the Twins. I don't know. Byron Buxton, by the way, quite the accomplishment. Uh, he, entering the game yeah. after like three hours and still going over two with a strikeout. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, uh, Molitor got a little goofy there in the, uh, oh, here's, okay, stick with me here, Phil. You pinch run Buxton, mm-hmm. and then you bunt him to second base. Yeah, that's Why weird. Why don't you steal second base and then let Adrianza hit a ground ball to third and get him to third base? Yeah, agreed. Totally you, you know, first pitch, see you later, you know? Yeah. What are you, what are you, if you're going to bunt, why bother to? Pinch run. Correct. And if he gets, if, if the fear is, well, what if he gets thrown out? Okay, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah right. By the way, he probably no, won't. We, we, yeah, yeah. He's stolen 28 in a row. I I, uh, I heard one of the commentators, I don't know which one, the other day said, Buxton's, uh, Buxton has that many steals this year. Well, no kidding. You got to get the first base. Right, exactly. <laughs> you yes. know, that's a requirement. You got to get the first base. Yeah. So is there, okay, I, other than, hey, he's just going to be a fourth outfielder who runs fast and catches fly balls, is there a solution? Roy Smalley was, you texted us during the Roy Smalley segment last week, and he, as delicately as he could say, going through mechanics, he basically said, basically yeah, the swing, said the it's not swing a major league swing. Work. It's yeah. not a major league swing. Mm-hmm. Now, last year, it, it you, I heard you guys talking about his last three months that same day, and and I was thinking it was two months, but actually, he what, he missed two weeks in August. He was hurt. I mean, in a July... July, he was hurt. It was probably 60 But if games. you go back to June, July 2nd, yes, his numbers were... They were very good from July uh, on, yes. Now, but I was, the one thing I was thinking of is I still remember three or four times him coming up in the eighth inning with a runner on, or maybe one out and a runner on third. And you're thinking, he's going to strike out. And he did. Mm-hmm. He still could not hit when they really went after him. Mm-hmm. But... He doesn't have to be more than two fifty. That's what we were you talking know? about. He doesn't too. have to be more than two fifty, but but what's the difference? I, he's, what's the difference between the swing in the second half of last year and now? I think that he just 
wasn't back here, but it was more where he was starting from, and he had an idea. Right now, it's he's a guess-hitting son of a gun. He's uh, you, you know, he's guessing fastball, which he can't hit. Yeah, and then if or if he guesses breaking ball, but he's you can see he's guessing every pitch. Here's one for you guys. Pitch. So we I, now, granted, he was injured for a while, so yeah. you know he hasn't played the entire two months, but it's going to be June in two days. Yes, going to be June in two days. He's gotten on base. 17 times this season. What? He's yeah. reached base that'll cut 17 down, times. That'll cut can't down steal. on your stolen bases. <laughs> and he has, still has five stolen bases out of How many walks do you have? Three or four? Three walks, 14 hits, and uh, and, and hit ten, 10 singles out of the 14 hits. He does not have wow. a home run or a triple yet. That is, uh, that is alarming. I will say, has any team ever screwed anything up worse than him? He gets a headache. You oh, put no. him on the DL. Yeah. And then Rehab you send him. him to Fort Myers. He's going to miss five games, five more games by putting him on. And you had the extra player in Puerto Rico. You didn't need to put him on the DL. They DL'd him. I think they thought we're going to, then we're going to send him to Fort Myers and get his swing back mm-hmm. or something. And then you put him in a lineup when he hadn't had a swing for three weeks. Yeah. Then you don't rehab him. He's the, la- he, he's the last guy that can roll out of bed after oh, three no. weeks off against major league pitching. Actually, and- Dick said that of all guys on the air when uh, a couple of weeks, uh, 10 days ago, he said, to, I don't know who was his partner, he said, you know, Maurer and Eddie Rosario, they can roll out of bed and get a hit. But yep. he said, boxing in his neck. No, he needs everything. But do you, do you send him to Rochester or do you de- DL him now and try and send him? Because they, they keep alluding to that, that, that the toe is, is still hurt. Do you send him to Florida and work with? I mean, you can't. Well, keep... last time he went to Florida, he damn near killed himself. Well, I don't know. But in Fort Myers. But, but my point is, Pat, you can't keep playing him. This is, this is useless right now. Yeah. He is uh, lost. I don't know. I may I maybe send him somewhere. Maybe I do send him to Fort Myers and have him play able. See, if but just get the swing, swing back. He's he has he goes up there right now with no opportunity. No. Yeah, it's a uh, like I mean it's it, Eddie Rosario has become of that group of younger players that's kind yeah. of in the mid to low twenties. He's become the absolute and cream of the crop. You know why? Because he's got the, he's got the magic hands. Yeah. Yep. It always even when he's swinging at balls over his head when he was. You know, the only reason he didn't hit when he first came up was because he wasn't swinging at any strikes. Mm-hmm. Now that he's, if he swings at a strike, he's he's got magic hands. Yeah. But I, I don't know what you do with him. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, Kelly, the last, I didn't ask him about him this time, but I did a couple weeks ago. And he still thinks that that there's something there that can be salvaged. So, But, it, but it's time to do it. Yeah. My point is you don't continue to play him on a daily basis you and know, watch this. But he is not as disgusting to me as Sano because Sano can hit. Oh, yes, that's a whole game. Sano can hit if he'll just right now, if Pat. he'll just realize that okay, instead of hitting the ball out of the off the left field fence, I'll hit it over the right field fence when it's away from him. And cuz he's got talent, he's got bat speed, he's got all those things. Buxton's got a 230 swing. Of okay, of so Sano's right now you're sort of your third baseman. Uh Dozier's your second baseman, Maurer's your first baseman, and we'll we'll just leave shortstop alone. Of those of those three infielders, how many of those three do you think are still in those spots on opening day of next year? Sano will be playing first. Do you think Maurer's on the team? No. 
Do you think he retires or plays yes, somewhere? Yes, retires. I think right. being injured. Look at his numbers. I mean, we were talking about he's getting on base, blah, blah, blah. He's yeah. got nine yeah. RBIs. And he's not Eight driving. There's no the, the doubles and stuff. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no, no it's it's time. He made all his money, and it was fantastic. Uh-huh. But uh, Dozier? Yeah. Well, they try to move him. But they're not going to. They're not going to. Well, maybe they will put the qualifying. It's pretty telling him. that they've looked at Dozier for the last year and a half, and they haven't even approached him about, hey, let's lock you up until you're 34, 35 years old. Well, I think they think Polanco's a second baseman. And they Nick Gordon looks like he might play because he's hitting at Rochester. I mean, he is. Yeah, he'll pretty, be up. He'll be up sometime after soon the All Star. You got to call right? him up. But uh, yeah, it's, hey, this is going to go. If these two guys flop together, oh, this yeah, it's going to yeah. be unprecedented in Minnesota sports history. Absolutely, yeah, but, will be. but the ama- the amazing thing is, I think if you would have said two years ago, if these two guys flop, state of the Twins, we would have said, "Whoa, sound the alarms." They have enough other. If if Royce Lewis pans out in two years, yeah. if Nick Gordon, they not that it wouldn't be a huge but, problem if but they didn't I, pan I out. Think but now though. We can't tell we can't tell the public to wait for anybody because we right. waited. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is off the charts. Yeah, oh, it's, with uh, both these guys being this bad. Yeah. yeah. All right, Pat. We're gonna talk to Dan Hayes. Thanks, about Patrick. The here. Yes, right. and uh, stay off those burner. Get back accounts, to your burner. Yeah. Get back to your Roycey burner <laughs> account. You don't think Brad Lane has any of those burner accounts saying bad mouthing us guys? Do you? Think I think now know? that I think about it, there's a few accounts. I know that there's a there's a there's a I love bunnies all caps. <laughs> I feel like it, one two three four. I thought you'd never catch on with the numbers. Some people are saying that PJ Fleck has a burner account and it's just at Phil Mackey. And I have yet to confirm or deny that. Well, I'm wondering if that was a burner account that Heather Fleck sent to me. That, that might not even been her. That might have been somebody else. <laughs> you keep telling I yourself that. A blue check mark burner yes, account. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, Pat's back in a few Bye. hours. Dan Hayes from The Athletic will join us next to talk some twins. This is where the magic starts. Mackey and Judd now continue. Showtime. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for The Athletic, Dan Hayes. Courtesy of Prime Mortgage Lending of Bloomington. Home is where your story begins. All right, Dan Hayes, theathletic.com slash twins. Are we, are we planning a funeral yet for this team? What's your state of the twins address? Yeah, I've spent all morning uh, checking out the old uh, the 2010 Seattle Mariners clips. Because that team uh, also had eight walk-offs in its first 50 games, and wow. um, yeah, and and just diving into that mess and trying to see if there's a way to kind of tie into it. That team finished 61 and 101. Oh, I don't so think we got that's, yeah. that going. Okay. Yeah, that that team had Don Wakamatsu get fired in the middle of the season. <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. retired in June because he was pissed at the Mariners and. Uh, Milton Bradley left a, a clubhouse after being benched. Um, Wakamatsu got in a fight with Sean Figgins in the dugout. Oh, that could Sean be fun. Figgins that reference. could be fun, wow. Dan Hayes, yeah. Yeah, all kinds of turmoil back then. And, uh, you know, it's not there right now with this team, but, you know, you wonder what the weight of all these kinds of losses will have if there's a cumulative effect to just continually – you know, setting up your your relievers to fail and and setting up all your pitchers. It's it's tough when you have a one run lead continually or less. I mean, the offense has just been atrocious, and and obviously we we know there are plenty of reasons why you missed several key contributors for a month. Joe Mauer's been gone for ten days now. Um, maybe he comes back Thursday, but 
But at the same time, you you got to find a way at times. I mean, you you can do the tip your cap, but at the same time, you got to find a way. And and there's uh, they they're just not doing that right now. And and they're really setting up these pitchers to be in tough spots. And and we're seeing what's happening. What should they do with Buxton? Because I don't see with, with the the way he's going. And, and Dan, the the majority of his plate appearances, he looks like a guy who does not have a chance. What should they? What's the the solution here, or the best possible thing that they they could do right now? Because this, to me, I don't know that that you can continue to play him like things are going right now. I, it's it's a very difficult position. I mean, I you know he's a popular guy. There's a lot of confidence around him in the clubhouse, and if you send him to the minors, you wonder what that would do. Um, and it wouldn't be the first time a team had done that. Alex Gordon had played two full years for the Royals and then got sent down in his third and fourth seasons. And, you know, there's some similarities there. Number, I think Gordon was the second overall pick and was kind of viewed as, like, this is going to be the guy that turns it all around for us. And, and it didn't go well early on. And, and, you know, he benefited from those. But at the same time, that's delicate. That's that's really difficult to pull off. And I, I don't know that the the Twins would do that. Um, especially given what Buxton means in that clubhouse and, and sending him down, what kind of message that would mean. Uh, but you're right. He's in a tough spot right now. And um, a lot of people were frustrated last night that he swung um, on the, uh, the 1-0 fastball. And, you know, it, it, they're caught in between right there because they want him to be aggressive where he's looking for pitches. And, you know, you talk to any batting coach and they'll tell you, if the guy gets a good pitch and he swings at it, even in a situation like that, we want him to because we want him looking at his pitch. And it was a strike on the inside corner, um, and he just didn't get it. He missed it and flew out. And, you know, it's just another instance where the, the Twins left runners and chances. Um, but at the same time, you you see the pitcher hit a batter and then walk two guys right in front of you. You want him to wait until, until the fact that he gets that, uh, that chance where he – where he takes a strike there basically and, and let the pitcher prove it. But you know, if, if the, the batter is looking for a pitch and he thinks he might only get one and he misses it, you know, you never know what kind of problem that causes for a guy afterward because he takes that strike and, Oh, there was my pitch. That was it. Mm-hmm. I missed it. And then he's guessing and that's an ugly at bat. So it's a catch 22. It's, it's not going well right now. I think his OPS plus is like nine. Um, obviously he's struggling a little bit and, and they're trying to get him right, but it's definitely a difficult situation when you have so many other guys who are really not performing. So, so how much of his inability to to get it going at the plate? How, how much of that is is the burden of James Rousen? How much of it is okay? Buxton is this moldable piece of clay, and they just haven't found a way collectively to mold it the right way, or is it that it that his swing is just? It's either mechanically flawed to the point where we overvalued it, or we overvalued him as a player. Um, you know, where do you think this lies? I, it's so hard to say because sometimes that snowball gets rolling, and and I think you just get down on yourself. And I think he's been a guy that's done that before. He's talked about it how it, he probably just kind of has to get going I, mentally. I, I think that's part of it. I, I you know you just you have a young guy who really talking to him in spring said last year that he wanted to do it for his team and he knew that he was doing it in the outfield but he wanted to do it with hitting and he, and he talked to players afterwards about why 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 so i i think that it's 
just something that you know you something doesn't go your way early and it gets in your head a little bit and uh, again i i really don't know that he was done any favors by just coming straight off the dl i got i totally got why the twins did that um adding his glove they were starting to heat up and and he really does bring some confidence and and swagger to the clubhouse but when he came off and hadn't batted in the game in you know 28 days or whatever it really does not help out anything and then you just get that that ball rolling in the wrong direction and, and all of a sudden it's it's a slump and again look he's he hasn't even hit the 100 plate appearance mark yet for this season things can turn around we saw it last year he got the ball rolling the other way and he was hot and you know he was an outstanding player i mean he was an mvp type player from what july 1st on um and and so it's in there it's just figuring out how to tap into it and obviously that's something that that the twins are working to do but i you know i think that they're very good as far as being prepared as a coaching staff um and and really good at the day-to-day inner workings and and being that that kind of psychologist that just it isn't helping or it isn't happening right now how surprised uh, slash uh, shocked do you think that this team is by by how bad things have gone to dan because the pitching struggled at one time. The bullpen uh, certainly did. The starters have been very good of late, and now that they can't hit, it's just it seems like everything that went right a year ago has gone wrong now. Yeah, I mean, and, and it started, you know, with the the Polanco getting suspended in spring. It was the, they had all this momentum. It was a, a great off season. They they acquired all these pieces that you know filled out the roster. It seemed like and and just every little shortcoming they had, they they took advantage of and. And and then all of a sudden the snowball gets going the other way, and it's been a long uh, time. And and yeah, I mean, guys continue to say the right things. Um, they they look at it, and you know, I think Kyle Gibson said, well, you know, the thing with eight walkoffs is that means we were in those games, and and they do expect some kind of regression to the mean. But you just wonder how long they can keep up that positive face because it really does get to be difficult and. It, there's a lot of guys who are talented on this club. Um, it, it really is a, a team that's truly kind of underperforming right now. Uh, obviously, a lot of weird circumstances, but you just wonder how long that goes before it kind of caves in on the, under its own weight because it it is something that's difficult to deal with on a daily basis. I mean, they have to point fingers at themselves or look at themselves constantly, even though they aren't playing totally horrible. They're just not playing you know very well it, it, there's there's sort of a fine line where a couple big hits here or there put them in the other direction and all of a sudden they're winning these games and so i think that there's good perspective within the clubhouse just because there are enough veterans at this point but at the same time you again you just wonder how long that can hold out for before it gets nasty uh dan hayes the athletic.com slash twins it, it would seem that royce lewis is going to make the jump to fort myers here at some point in the in the next few days or few weeks what with with how mature he seems to be and with his his strikeout numbers are way down compared to what you would think an 18 year old playing professional baseball would be there's just a lot of really good factors that uh that you would put in his bin What's a good timeline for him? I mean, do you think it's possible that he's up at the end of next year at some point as a 19 or a 20-year-old? Or what, what What would you put a realistic timeline on for Royce Lewis? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I would like to see him continue to go on and do this at, at high A. Obviously, that, that promotion will, will come anytime. I, 
he just hit a recent slump. I think he was in like a nine for 52 stretch and he's starting to come out of it. And that's a, that's a really good sign. Um, there's still a lot of raw ability there though. There's still stuff that needs to be refined with that swing. And he's the kind of guy that makes quick adjustments. And I know that's obviously part of the development plan with him is to work on that with him, but you'll see him swinging and missing kind of wildly at times. And, um, yet he can put it together and, and finish in a bat where he's got two strikes and got a good two strike approach and puts the ball in play and, you know, gets a base hit. So it, the potential is there to be a fast mover. I don't know how fast, I, I don't know what, how it all fits into their plan. I mean, this is a team that all of a sudden, I don't know that, you know, I don't know if you told them in September last year that they were going to try and compete, that they would have thought it, but then they make the playoffs and that moves up their timeline. I think that they, probably saw themselves as a club that's two years away, um, you know, sort of where like the, the Astros surprisingly won that 15 wild card and then had a, a down season in 16 and come back and won the World Series. I think that maybe the Twins saw themselves sort of like that early Astros club last year and think that their real timeline is a couple years away. And I think that Royce Lewis's arrival is a key part of that. It's just, is it next year at the end or is it the following season? Um and and sometimes, you know, the the uh, Super 2 status comes into play, and sometimes teams want to get that seventh year, and so maybe it doesn't happen until the April, the mid-April of that following year uh, so that they can stretch them out and get seven years of them instead of six. So, you know, all that stuff really does sometimes come into play. Um, but I wouldn't rule it out that Lewis could make those gains. It's just I think they want to see some certain things in development and um, – you know, for him to do it. But it's been extremely impressive so far. Why is D- Duffy concerned about a guy coming down the third baseline, possibly th- throwing him off? The, the Rosario thing <laughs> last night, I didn't – I don't get that. I mean, he does it yeah, all the time. It's not a big deal. And he's barking at Adam like he, you know, basically just started to yell back or something. That was weird. Yeah, it was It was strange. And, and Rosario seemed to kind of brush it off. And we didn't get to talk to him afterwards just because – you know, that kind of stuff gets lost after 14 innings and, and being there for five hours. Um, but but that's the second time where they've had a baseball police issue on the Royals this year because Salvador Perez had a uh, shouting match with uh, with Tim Anderson right. from the White Sox. And, 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 you know, when I tweeted something out about that last night, um, some of their fans, nobody really fought back to say, you know, you, you expect some – some Royals fans to to shoot back because Duffy obviously has played a big part in their success and and more it was that people were saying man this team just isn't fun to root for because it just was out of left field I mean look Rosario is trying to deke him and get him to balk in the run and and the Twins needed that run the Twins need every run they can get right now yeah so it was just good gamesmanship on Rosario's part, and he got the stare down from Duffy after the inning, like he had done something wrong, and it, so it was just misplaced, and and it was strange. I mean, it's it's like when the opposing fans boo a visiting club for throwing over to first base all the time late in the game. And it's like, hey, I'm trying to win the game by holding this runner on, and fans, obviously the home fans don't appreciate that, so they boo, and it's it's just kind of pointless. It, it's you know what they're doing, but it's pointless. And and Duffy was really I, I don't get what he was going for there. Didn't the uh, this is this is such a Royals thing? This kind of sort of thin skinned or this peacocking, looking to looking to start trouble thing. Didn't they get into a couple of these with the White Sox when you covered them a couple of years oh, ago? Yeah, yeah um, one of a, you know 
uh, Jordano Ventura, rest in peace. Uh, yeah. he, he was in the middle of a couple of those. And there were, man, there were a couple, there was a brawl where, uh, Jeff Samarja and Lorenzo Kane got into it, and Chris Sale tried to break into the Royals clubhouse. And yeah, that, <laughs> it, in fact, Alex Rios of all guys, uh, former White Sox at the time, I played peacemaker in that. Chris Sale got like a step into the visiting clubhouse, and that was when he and Jeff Samarja ran ran pretty hard together and used to pump each other up. And 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 Samarja at one point, um, there's a great uh, meme out there where. Lorenzo Cain got his sweatshirt, his hoodie pulled up over his head uh, by Samarja. And it's a uh, I am Cornholio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was pretty entertaining stuff back then. But yeah, this has always sort of been their mo. And look, it's funny the, with Rosario, the stuff he was doing last night is exactly the stuff that the Royals did on the bases that made them so good. Right. You know, they were always aggressive and they always pushed. I mean. I saw Terrence Gore score on an infield chopper with two outs to win the game uh, when the when the play was safe at first. It was a high chopper, and he scored all the way from, from second base. Speed was a huge part of their game, and, and so Rosario, like, basic, maybe it's the field just brings it out of people because Rosario was running around like crazy last night, and the rundown play was not particularly good, but you understand why he does that. I mean, that's what makes him who he is is – kind of pushing it like that and uh it just didn't seem to work for danny duffy and it did not look good for danny duffy right for sure hey great stuff dan we'll talk soon right. see you dan all right guys thanks all right dan hayes our uh, our wednesday talking twins guest from the athletic theathletic.com slash twins yeah chris sale six foot what six foot yeah. six six foot seven and a hothead i bet he could he'd be tough to get inside of he could he'd get that reach advantage yeah. kind of poking your forehead yeah well, I don't know if I'd want to he, mess with Chris he's, Sale. Man. He's the, the the guy that that they they were going to wear their throwback 1970s jerseys, right? The big the big like pajamas, and he went in and cut them all up. Yeah, and then they suspended him for That's, it. Yeah, he can also pick up any object and throw it 99 miles an oh, hour yeah, at I your head mess too. With him. Like he pick up a pint glass and throw it at your mm-hmm. head or a bottle or something. Uh, the crafty rogues are going to come hang out in about 15 minutes. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Beginning of the year, they struggled a little bit to find some chemistry, but they're very close friends. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Get United match reactions plus MLS news straight from the coach himself. This coming Tuesday, June 5th, Adrian Heath and Jamie Watson will be at Nomad World Pub in Minneapolis for a live Adrian Heath show broadcast from 6 to 7 p.m. It's presented by Heineken. You can come watch the show, talk soccer with the guys, win some prizes, and more details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, events. Thank you, Dave. You know what? As big of a buzzkill as as it would be if Buxton and Sano both busted out or just weren't, even if they just weren't the superstars that you wanted them to be. But at worst, if they were like fourth outfielder and guy that hits 230 and, you know, can't make contact. Yeah. Who goes somewhere else? I don't yep. think Boston would would take Sano. Boston's got Boston's got enough young talent. Tampa and, Bay, how about that? Sure, uh, but and this is not meant to be a consolation prize, but it kind of is one. They've had other guys pop up: Fernando Romero, Eddie Rosario. They've had these guys, even Jorge Polanco, if he comes back from the steroid suspension and performs anywhere near the way he was in the second half. And then they've got this next wave, too, and it's not guaranteed that all of them pan out, as we've seen with Byron Buxton, but Nick Gordon's hitting like 320, double A, up to triple A now, and Royce Lewis is the number one overall pick. 
Uh, Steven Gonsalves a couple nights ago got yanked after two thirds of an inning, and it was it was ugly. But he has an ERA around two between Double A AA and Triple A as one of your other top pitching prospects. Uh, Alex Kirilov, Brent Rooker. So it's it feels like they've done a really good job, even going back to the Terry Ryan regime here, of getting back over the last five years to stockpiling this system. And now it's about maximizing these yeah, guys, got some and, then, and then yeah. using some of these guys as trade bait yes. to fill in roster yes. holes too. So it wouldn't. It's not like oh my god, there's no other young players, and this is going to be doomsday. It would be bad if those guys busted out. But they're lucky that they've had this 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 wave of uh, of effective prospects. So if Buxton and Snow both bust and and are gone or not good, basically the thing that that I see, and it's a big deal, but it backs up the timetable, right? It backs up, so you go from saying that, okay, if these guys are effective, you're going to be good immediately, mm-hmm. and especially with the pitching. Unfortunately, now what we're seeing offensively is ineptitude. So I would say the farm system is still pretty solid. The issue is is now your expectation on the timetable probably has to change again. It does. I mean, Byron Buxton, That's for instance, Byron Buxton, at his, so he was a three-and-a-half wins above replacement player last year. I'm just going to use these as loose guides. The best players in the league are 8, 9, 10-win guys like Mike Trout. If It means if you took Mike Trout off the Angels, they wouldn't go winless, but they would lose between him and then the the guy that you would call up from AAA. Ryan whatever. Lamar. Yep. It'd be like a 10-win difference. And some people might say, no, it's more than that. No, it's about a 10-win difference. You go from, let's say, 90 to 80. You wouldn't go from 90 that's to a, 40. That's a lot, yeah. It's a huge total. 10 wins is big. Byron Buxton has this potential with his defense to be like a 7-8 win player over the course of a season. Not Mike Trout good, but that next level down good. And right now, the way he's playing this year, he's on pace to be minus 1 or minus 2. So the difference between where he's at now and the level he was playing at the second half of last year extrapolated to a full season is the difference between, let's say, of 88 wins and 78 wins, or 86 wins and 76 wins, somewhere in there. And the the reason why you don't give up is what uh, Patrick was saying. I've said, you've said, you're, okay, you're looking for, let's say, 240. You adjust your expectation. Ideally, he hits 285, gets on base all the time, steals bases, hits 20 home runs. But let's let's adjust the expectation to say, we're looking for 240. Mm -hmm. We're looking for 15 home runs. So we're looking for competence, yeah. play competence. And this really disturbing thing right now, you're not coming close to play competence. I mean, just no. the stat that, that you gave Patrick, that the man has been on base 17 times this season, 17 times? Think about that. I'm going to tweet that out. It'll get some run on Twitter. That will definitely. 17, it's almost it's going to be June in two days. That is that is beyond comprehension. Um, there were red flags at every level of the minors with his strikeout totals, but he filled in everything else with doubles and triples and homers and all these things. But in the back of your mind throughout the minor leagues, you say, yeah, he still sw- he swings and misses a lot of minor league pitching. What's going to happen when he gets to the big leagues and you're seeing it? It's even worse for Sano, who swings and misses even more oh, than yeah. Buxton does. Yeah. And that's actually the good news about Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis has only struck out 27 times in 161 plate appearances this year for, uh, for Cedar Rapids. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're allowing yourself that many extra opportunities to put a ball in play and you're and you're fast, right? That's how you hit 300 instead of 210. Just just don't be an automatic out yes. by not being able to it, make contact it's with the pitch, right? Yeah. That's all. I'm looking for two, give me 235. I'll yes. take it from Byron.
Yeah, it really, like last year, last year, if you could put that on repeat for the rest of his career at this point, I would take it. I would take a guy who hits about 240, 245, gets on base at a 300 clip. Defensively, plays the gold best. glove defense yes. and hits 16 home runs and steals a bunch of bases. I think you would, you would for sure sign up for that at this point. Let's get the crafty rogues in here. All right. Let's, uh, let's have some we'll fun with those guys. Yes. And uh, we'll come back in a couple minutes from the TCL broadcast studios. Mackie and Judd.